our Bibles and let's turn together to the book of Jonah. We are continuing our Minor Prophets series today and Lord willing we will complete that series over the next few weeks as we unpack this book. If you're not sure where Jonah is, that's the second half of your Old Testament, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Now, this is one of those stories where a lot of us are familiar with it. And so when I say Jonah, the first thing you think of is a whale. So a couple of things there. The Bible never calls it a whale. It's a big fish. And second thing is the book of Jonah is not all about a big fish. In fact, let's just drill that in our minds. Let's say that together. The book of Jonah is not all about a big fish. We are going to find out what the book of Jonah is all about. It's, it's one of the shortest books of the Old Testament. It's only four chapters or 48 verses long. We're not sure who wrote it or exactly when it was written. Our best guess is about 700 years before Christ was born, which places it as one of the earliest of the minor prophets in Scripture. And the time that Jonah lived was unique. There was actually, it was a time of of general outward prosperity in the sense that Israel had relative rest from their enemies. Their borders were expanding. But on the outside, it wasn't the same on the inside. Outside, it looked like things were great. Spiritually, they were bankrupt. And part of that was due to the leadership of King Jeroboam, whom the Lord said did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so, all of this going on, God decides to show mercy to his people. And God initiates this restoration of his people back to himself. In fact, it's that mercy of God that we are going to focus on today. That's really a theme of the whole book of Jonah, but in particular, our text today, the mercy of God. Many years ago, before podcasts and sermons online, back in Georgia, I had a little radio program where I would teach the Bible. And one week I taught on the forgiveness of the Lord. And then it was just a short time after I got a letter in the mail from a prison near Atlanta. And as I read the letter, it was from a man on death row who had heard the radio broadcast somehow. And he was telling me in the letter, he so wants to trust in Christ and and be forgiven, but he had agonizingly come to the conclusion that he had just been too wicked. He had killed a person. And there was no way he could imagine a holy God forgiving that. I wrote him back, I assured him of the power of the cross of Christ, that God can and does forgive murder. I gave him some examples. I told him about a man named David who was not only a murderer but also an adulterer who was confronted and who repented and whom God forgave. I told him about a man named Saul who was an awful man, persecuting Christians, stood by and approved while an innocent man was stoned to death. And yet Jesus got a hold of him, changed his name, and made him the best evangelist the world has known. Because God is just that merciful. 
And the cross of Christ is just that powerful. As we are having our attentions and affections focused on God's word this morning, I I just want to ask you to focus your attention here. No matter what you've done or how far you've gone, God's mercy will never be outrun. You can never go too far that God can't reach you and forgive you and open your eyes and wash you clean and change your life. We hold to that truth, and we are grateful for that truth today. The sermon today is entitled, God's Mission of Mercy. We're going to read and unpack the first chapter of Jonah. We're just going to start by reading verses 1 through 3, and then we'll pray. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we... We are grateful for the ability to gather, something that we have a fresh appreciation for. And we are grateful to know that when we gather, you are with us and in us. This morning, as we open up your word, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask that you would remind us anew of your mercy and your kindness and your grace. Our hearts are always in need of that reminder that it's not by our goodness that you have saved us, but it is because you are good. So turn our hearts to you today and may your word transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably already know what the book of Jonah is about. In case you don't, here is the really quick Cliff Notes version. God calls his prophet Jonah to go to the wicked city of Nineveh to warn them and repent. Jonah says no and goes the other direction. God uses a storm and sailors and a big fish to get Jonah where God wanted him to begin with. Jonah preaches a half-hearted message. The people repent. God spares the city. Jonah pouts and the book ends. You say, now what are we going to talk about the next three weeks? (laughs) Kind of strange how the book ends that way. But the whole book of Jonah is strange. Let's just admit that. But it's strange in a wonderful kind of way. One thing that makes the book of Jonah so unique is it is the only Old Testament book that is written focusing on a Gentile nation. God calling a prophet from the Jews to go and speak to Gentiles that they would repent. Now already we see the gospel, the picture of the gospel, that God, his plan from the beginning was more than to simply save Israel, but to save for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and language. And we are grateful 
God has done that. So as we focus on God's mercy today, two major aspects we're going to hone in on, that God's mercy is undeserved and God's mercy is unrelenting. So first, God's mercy is undeserved. God told Jonah, get up, I want you to go to Nineveh. You're going to preach to them that judgment is coming. Okay, so far nothing too unusual, nothing too strange. I mean, this is what Old Testament prophets were used to. God spoke a message many times of judgment and most of the time to God's own people. So Jonah's problem wasn't with the message. Jonah's problem was who he was supposed to give that message to. Now, Nineveh was one of the biggest cities of the Assyrian Empire. And you've heard of these Assyrians through the Minor Prophets series. They were the worst of the worst. They were cruel and murderous. The things that they did to their prisoners of war cannot even be spoken of. They were feared. They were merciless. For 300 years, the Assyrians were basically the bullies on the block. And specifically to Israel, they would torture them and attack them and enslave them. So you can imagine for 300 years, God's people were praying for deliverance. Praying for God to come and judge these wicked people. Those are the people that God's calling Jonah to. But here, we already see God's mercy at work because God doesn't have to warn anybody. He would have been completely just to just rain down fire from heaven and destroy them. But instead of destroying them, God wants to warn them because God has sent Jonah on a mission of mercy. So God gives Jonah that message. He points him in the direction to go. Jonah promptly gets up and goes in the opposite direction. And not just the opposite direction, but Jonah tries to go as far away as possible from the direction God has called him to go. So if you could imagine it, Jonah, he's in Joppa. All he has to do is go about 500 miles east to Nineveh. Jonah instead turns west and tries to go 25, thank you, there it is, 2,500 miles to Tarshish. So instead of going by land, which was safer, by land, 550 miles, he wants to go four times the distance by sea, which was in this day and time much more dangerous, to get away not only from God's mission, but the Bible tells us to get away from God's presence. Now, why is Jonah doing this? Doesn't make any sense. We would think if we didn't know the rest of the story, we would think, oh, well, he's the Assyrians, the Ninevites, they're awful people. He's afraid of them. Who would want to go talk to them? That's not why. We find out later in the story exactly why Jonah flees. It's because he knows God is merciful. He knows that if he goes and warns the Ninevites, and if they repent, God will spare the city. And Jonah doesn't want that to happen. Remember, the Assyrians, wicked people, hurting Israel for hundreds of years, Jonah wanted to see them pay. Not warn them, he wanted to see God destroy them. 
Jonah knew God saves sinners. He just didn't want him to save those sinners. What we're seeing here is something that we Christians, unfortunately, are familiar with. It's called self-righteousness. I'm good and everybody else is bad. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but you're even worse than less than perfect than me. When I pray and ask God for forgiveness, I expect that instantly. But when someone sins against me, I want them to pay. Self-righteousness is that lingering, ugly thing that we all are aware of in our own hearts. Now, it's important to recognize what is right here. It is right for us to desire justice. To see wrongs made right. Justice for those who have been harmed and justice for those who have done the harming. Justice is a good thing. It is a character quality of God that because we are made in his image, God has put in each one of us a desire for justice. So that's good. But so is mercy. Mercy is just as much part of God's character as justice. And in the perfect character of God, justice and mercy are never opposing one another. They're always working perfectly in harmony. And so in that, Jonah is blind to his own need for God's mercy. That moment that God told him to get up and told him to go one way, and Jonah took that first step in the opposite direction, was the moment that Jonah became like the very people he hated. The very moment that Jonah took that step away from obeying God was the moment Jonah became a rebel. Now, the book is full of irony. Here's one piece of it. Jonah knowingly rebelled against God so that those who rebelled against God would not receive mercy. Makes no sense, right? Now, when we make this personal, again, we, we're familiar with this. And, and for me, when, when I'm aware, when I'm made aware that self-righteousness is at work in my heart, one of, one of the main things that, that I begin to see is that I, I begin to think about my sin before God as not nearly as bad as people's sin against me. I begin to get those two things skewed. When I expect God's forgiveness for my sin, but I have a hard time forgiving others of their offenses against me. But thank God there's a remedy for self-righteousness, and his name is Jesus. To, to remember that at the cross, we see God's perfect justice. Where a holy God did not allow sinners to go unpunished or to allow our sin to go unaddressed. But God's justice was poured out there. And we see God's mercy perfectly because you and I were not given that punishment we deserved. Jesus took it on our behalf. And he gives us his righteousness. And we receive God's forgiveness. So at the cross, you have no better picture of God's justice and mercy meeting. When we stop and consider that, church, it changes everything. When we stop and consider 
That moment that I'm struggling forgiving somebody in my life who has offended me or done me wrong, when I stop and remember that my sin against a holy God is infinitely worse than anything anyone could do to me, that changes my heart. It doesn't feel good, but that changes my heart. And it's not just the awareness that my sin is worse than what somebody's sin against me could be, but it is the fact that God forgave me of that sin. That I'm able to walk in the grace and love and forgiveness and acceptance and adoption of the Father because the Son took that punishment in my place. I say this to my kids sometimes. You didn't have to get up this morning wondering if the Lord loves you. He does. You and I didn't have to get up this morning. Those of you who follow Christ, you didn't have to get up this morning wondering if you're saved. You are. That's because of God's mercy and his love. Not because we deserved it. Not because we proved this week that we are worthy to be loved. But because God is good and he is merciful. Aren't you glad that even in our most difficult times when we are tempted to walk away, when when our faith is weakened, when we're going through a difficult time and we're just wondering what's true anymore, aren't you glad to know that if we wander, Jesus doesn't just let us go? Aren't you glad to know that Jesus, as the good shepherd, isn't pointing to that wandering sheep that was you or that was me? And he says, see you later. Good luck with that. Have fun in the wilderness. You deserve it. No. Bible says he leaves the 99, goes after the one and brings us home. Why? Because of his undeserved mercy that he gives us. Secondly, we see God's mercy is unrelenting. Jonah knew God was merciful. That's why he ran. Instead of obeying, going to Nineveh, Jonah goes to Joppa, gets on a boat, and tries to go as far away as he can. God has different plans. He sends a storm. Now, this was no ordinary storm. If it were, the sailors could have just taken care of it. They knew this was a supernatural storm. Verse 4 says, God hurled a great wind. That's a picture of God forcefully throwing a storm upon this boat. And these sailors knew it. And they were trying everything they knew. It was all hands on deck. They were doing everything they could to throw things overboard, to try to keep things afloat. It didn't work. They started praying to every God, little g, that they could think of. It wasn't stopping. The storm was just growing stronger. And what was our friend Jonah doing in all of this? End of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. So here we have this incredibly terrible storm. The ship is breaking apart. They're throwing everything overboard, which was likely things of value because otherwise they probably wouldn't be sailing anywhere. Everything they were going to deliver thrown overboard. They're just trying to live. These hardened pagan sailors crying out, fearing for their life, and Jonah is taking a nap. 
Now, maybe Jonah was able to do that because his heart had just become so hard he didn't care. Maybe it was because he, just, he had already resigned to die. We don't know. But the captain says, arise. Get up. It's almost like saying, hey, you, get up. Do you know that's the exact Hebrew word God spoke to Jonah when he said, arise and go to Nineveh. I just imagine Jonah in this, taking this nap, dreaming about those words that he had heard that he's disobeying, God saying, arise. And then he hears those words with his ears and he wakes up and hears this tearful, fearful captain saying, arise, you get up. Pray to whatever God you trust in because we're going to die. These sailors needed answers. They needed to know who offended what God so that they wouldn't die. So they do what a lot of people in the Old Testament would do. They started casting lots. It's similar to rolling dice to try to figure out what they didn't know. And all the signs pointed directly to Jonah. Look at verse 8. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Here comes the interrogation now. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? They didn't have time for polite conversation. They needed to get down to brass tacks. And here's what Jonah said to them. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Really, Jonah? (laughs) You fear the Lord? Yahweh, the one you're running from and disobeying. But when he said that, in whatever tone of voice, it struck more terror into the hearts of the sailors. Because in the ancient world, most people had heard the stories. Most were aware of, even if they didn't worship Yahweh, they were aware of this Hebrew God who had defeated the strongest army on the planet, Egypt, and he did it by drowning them in the sea. Imagine the sailor saying, which which God do you serve? Which God are you running from? Oh, thanks a lot. What have you done? That's what they say, verse 10. They were exceedingly afraid and said, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, Yahweh. Because he told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Now stop and think about this. Jonah knew exactly why this storm had come. He could have told the sailors, Guys, I am an idiot. That's why this storm's going on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to repent before my God. You're going to turn this boat around. You're going to repent before God. And I'm going to obey him like I was supposed to. But he doesn't say that. He says, guess you're just going to have to throw me overboard, guys. It's the only way we can fix this thing. Now look, more irony These sailors, these these pagan, hardened, idol-worshiping sailors in that moment feared God more than the Jewish prophet did. 
And they were more merciful than Jonah wanted to be to the Ninevites because instead of doing what Jonah said, they tried all the more to row against the storm just so they wouldn't have to see this guy die. But it didn't work. There's a moment in our lives when we are in a storm, whether it's from our own disobedience or we don't know why. There's just a difficulty. There's a trial. Our faith is being challenged. There's a moment in that trial where God reminds us and reveals to us we are not in control. I know what that feels like. You know what that feels like. Because our instinct is to try to fix it ourselves. Our instinct is to ask the question that unbelieving sailors asked. What must we do to fix this? And when God is revealing to us he's in control, the contrast, the beautiful, grace-filled contrast is that our strength is insufficient. But the strength of Christ has no bounds. The things that we try to do, that we try to muster up, that we try to earn God's love... None of them come to anything. We have to fling ourselves upon the mercy of the cross. And God meets us and cleanses us. God's purposes will be fulfilled in your life. Do not translate the presence of the storm as God's will is being missed. Even, that, even though Jonah was blatantly disobeying, God is enacting his will. It's not pleasant in that moment but it's life-saving and life-giving. I mean, think about that. That storm that God sent was because of Jonah and to turn him around. But God, just for bonus, shows mercy and turns around the hearts and lives of those sailors on that boat. God uses Jonah's storm to change others as well. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the sailors called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Again, that's Yahweh. Very specific. They say, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. This verse is the high point of the whole chapter. Pagan idol-worshiping sailors caught in the middle of a deadly God-sent storm in that moment reject their idols, call upon the one true God, not just, hey, Jonah's God, whoever you are. No, they call him by name, Yahweh, and they repent. And they even repent for what they're about to do because they are going to do what the prophet says. They're going to throw Jonah overboard. And every sailor on that boat knew what that meant. They're sending a man to certain death, no hope. When Jonah hit the water, the Bible says the storm ceased. It's not, it's not just a gradual dying down. It is ceased, stopped immediately. Verse 16, how do the sailors respond? They say, oh, great, that's done. Let's go back to our idol worshiping. No. Even after the danger had passed, their lives were saved. What did they do? The Bible says that they made vows to God offered a sacrifice after the storm. That just highlights the sincerity and genuineness of their repentance. By Old Testament standards, this boatload of guys just got saved. (laughs) 
They trusted Yahweh as their Lord and God. God's running after Jonah with his unrelentless mercy, and yet he catches some sailors as well. The psalmist reminds us, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You can't get away from God's mercy. When you belong to him, no matter how far you try to go, no matter how many times you've stumbled, you turn around and God's mercy is right there. His goodness has been following you. He hasn't abandoned you. It may have felt like there was distance, but that's only a feeling. God has been right there. Jesus has been right there with his goodness and with his mercy because his mercy is unrelenting. God has promised to use the worst things in our life and turn them around to be the best. Because it's in those moments where God reveals more of who he is to you. He reveals how he loves you. He reveals who you are in Christ. He reveals to you what he has done to show that love to you. And he reminds you that it's not because of you but because of him that you are saved and loved and he draws you near. Now we know the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. And we've already affirmed together it's not about a big fish, which Lord willing we'll hear about next week. It is about a merciful, loving God who loves to save sinners. That's what it's about. And here, In just our brief story today, we can already see signposts that point us to the one who would come and fulfill and manifest in a person the mercy of God for us all. In fact, you probably picked up on some of the similarities to a story that we are familiar with. Another boat full of scared men, disciples, in the middle of a, an unusual God-sent storm that causes, causes seasoned sailors and fishermen to fear for their lives. Another story where there's someone asleep in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up too. Don't you care? We're going to die. But that one who was asleep in the boat was not running from God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus was not angry with God's mercy. He came to fulfill that mission of mercy for us. In that story, no one had to be thrown overboard to stop the storm. Jesus did that with a word. But make no mistake, that storm was not the worst to come. The real storm was the one Jesus would would face all alone, naked on a cross. The storm of God's holy wrath that Jesus willingly hurled himself into in our place. Jonah wanted to die rather than see God save sinners. Jesus did die so that sinners would be saved. This morning we can sit in confidence. We can live with confidence knowing Jesus completely fulfilled that mission. He did it for you, he did it for me, and there's no one that can take us out of his hand. But at the same time, that completed mission has now been handed to his church. 
Yes, to celebrate. Yes, to be reminded of because of the mercy you and I have been given. Yes, to to combat those thoughts of condemnation that you and I can struggle with. To combat the self-righteousness when we struggle with forgiving others. All of those things are important to apply and live and remember and worship God for. But this mission of mercy has also been handed to you and I to continue to live it out. And that is to go to people. Maybe the people that you think don't deserve it. Maybe going to the people who have hurt you. Maybe going to the people that you have been praying God would judge. And God has called you to go to that boss, that coworker, that neighbor that you can't stand, that family member, and share the mercy and grace of Jesus with them. You and I have benefited from this mission of mercy. Let us not just hoard it. Let's rejoice, but let us not hide it. Let's take that mission of mercy and to begin to walk that out so that when we do struggle with forgiving others and we struggle with being inward and we struggle with pulling away from God or pulling away from the church or pulling away from fellowship and we use a million excuses why, God is gracious to open our eyes to bring us home, remind us the grace we've been given, and then to remind us, I've put you here because you're on a mission. There are going to be temptations for us to run the other direction, but God knows how to find us, and his mercy loves on us. And then we are filled with new delight in Christ, and then what happens? We can't help but to tell others where we have found such delight. So this morning, not only do we have hope, not only do we have remedy for our own sin, but we have been given the beautiful mission to go and share Christ with others. Let's do that with joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for putting on display your mercy this morning. For those this morning who who would be struggling with believing that you love them. For those who would struggle this morning to say, "I've, I've gone too far. Or maybe those who would say, I haven't gone anywhere yet, but I sure want to. Lord, I believe you're speaking directly to us today. I pray that you would reach that heart right now. Whether in this room or watching online, I pray the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit would reach that heart right now and turn it back to you. Lord, remind us of the grace we've been given so that we will give it to others, that we would rejoice in it, and we would tell everyone about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.